Welcome to our podcast. We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. As a church, we're currently working through the book of Romans. If you would like to watch the live video from this episode, head over to vintagecitychurch.tv and we hope you enjoy this message. Hey, let's go to Romans. If you have your Bible, chapter 10. How much fun is this, by the way? It's so fun. I've had the privilege of being around the building for the last few months and watching all the different teams, whether it's contractor teams or volunteer teams, just work and work and work. And it's just with incredible pleasure to go, look at, look at this. You know when the Bible says, look what the Lord has done? It's, the, it's that kind of moment, right? You're like, wow, look what the Lord has done. But if you think about it, the Lord does that through whom? Us. So our obedience to the word of the Lord, to the things of the Lord, are how he accomplishes what's in his heart. And we get to step back and go, well, this is crazy. Well, it's because people learn to walk in obedience to what he said. We're going to build on that idea because that's really what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 10. He opens up and says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go tell them without being sent? We looked at this verse lightly last week, but I feel like there's just so much in it, I wanted to bring us back to it for a bit. The they in the passage, right before this, Paul will say, um, anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord will be saved. It's the same anyone he's talking about. Really, in, in the context of this specific passage, he's dealing with Jewish believers or Jew, Jewish people that are unbelievers, and he's basically saying they, they, need, they need to know who Jesus is. But the way he presents anyone in this passage really means it is overarching for anyone in culture. And it would appear that Paul's trying to present a continuum that, is it, that the goal of it is to produce in his reader a compassion. I think it's pretty obvious that Paul is trying to lead us to a place where the answer is, yeah, we got to send people out. Otherwise, nobody's going to know. That's really his agenda. The action he's looking for in us, and this is my action that I'm going to challenge us with, is to realize that those around us actually need Jesus. And in our culture right now, it's so easy for us to get into a, well, they have their own beliefs mindset. I'm not talking about belief. I'm not talking about an academic pursuit of an idea. I'm talking about the reality that we live in neighborhoods, we work in the marketplace, we are around people, and whether they know it or not, they actually need Jesus. Because there will come a day, the scriptures say, every knee will bow. What does every knee mean? It doesn't mean every believer. It means that the entire population of the earth, whether we like it or not, whether they like it or not, are going to bow before him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. We love that. We're like, what a beautiful verse. But I, I actually, that verse causes me concern. Because in the moment that they bow and confess his lordship, the rest of the scriptures would seem to say, in that moment, they're bowing because the reality is he's God and we just figured it out. We thought he was a system. We thought he was a concept. We thought he was just another prophet. We thought he was just a belief. 
And in that moment, they recognize, uh-oh, you're actually the real deal. That's Peter's revelation. Where am I supposed to go? You're it. And we get very religious around that. Yeah, he's the main thing. But time out. What if we start looking at the world around us, everyone, and we're good at looking at those who are in a tough spot in life. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they need you. The wealthy that think they have no needs still need him. It's imperative that we, the church, figure out how to infiltrate society at every level so we can lead them and reveal him. Because they need him. What if I could tell you that every single person that you meet, believer or not, has a deep need for a greater revelation of Jesus? And it is the intention of him that that happens through you. How many of you instantly just went, uh oh? Have you ever noticed the tendency as humans to where we, we, we like turn on church and then we turn off church? Depending on the, how many when you, when you get on a call and you need customer support or they screwed up your bill, you, you kind of step out of Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, I have to put my aggressive face on. What happens if we're not ever supposed to do that? What happens if there is to be the discipline? Pastor Gary used to say it growing up all the time. Sometimes the answer is, what's wrong with being wronged? Because what a tragedy if I decide to flex in that moment and I undermine revealing him. Does that make sense? Yes. So Paul's talking about this word, anyone who calls. We talked about this just briefly last week. I'm going to highlight it again. How many recognize that those who call, cry out, is really what the word means, are usually what? They're desperate. They're in trouble. So perhaps as we live in the marketplace, as we live in our neighborhoods, as we live even in our extended families, and these people are just in trouble, it's trouble after trouble, and you have that thing where you're like, why can't you just live normal? But what we should realize instead is that they are in the moment where they're most ripe, to receive him because they have a need. Now, Paul's logic, obviously, is he wants the church to go into the world and make disciples. He's trying to motivate them to say, please don't turn inward and insulate. Please understand the world at large that doesn't know him is never going to know him unless you figure out how to live with them. How many grew up in church systems where it was kind of us against them? How many grew up like I did in a church system where if we hung around with sinners, you're going to look like sinners and smell like sinners, and you should stay away from sinners? It's so not the gospel. The gospel is that we are to dive into the culture. Yeah, but, but, but what if I develop bad habits? Then you don't have enough lordship. If you're afraid that when I hang out with unbelievers, I'm going to be like an unbeliever, I would say you need to connect with the one you believe in. Because the issue is not them. The issue is us not having a, having a deep enough rooting and mooring in him. Paul's statement is, I pray that you will be rooted and grounded in his love. Church, if we are grounded in his love and we are the people that get up every day and we go sit with him and we let his voice invade our lives and then we walk into the world, nothing can touch us. 
It's quiet. <laughs> See, we are to live with an agenda. Every single day, whether it's King Supers, whether it's work, whether it's your neighborhood, we are to live with an agenda that our life is on display. Whether it's at a concert or at a basketball game, our life is on display for one purpose. We are constantly at all times revealing him. I would love to challenge that, that we would really grab onto that and maybe ask yourself the question, in my everyday life, where are the places I feel like I struggle to reveal him? Where are the places where I lean into human strength instead of divine strength? Where are the places where I take off the divine nature because, well, you know, they don't really pay me to be nice. You can be firm at work. You can be exacting. You don't have to be a jerk. That's a sensual thing that comes out of our sin nature. We can absolutely fully function in who we're called to be with graciousness and gentleness. And sometimes it takes more faith to trust the Lord that you're, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to do it your way. I refuse to do it the wrong way. And if I get demoted because I did it your way instead of the way they're asking me to do it, which is sin, then I trust you. We have to become a people that display him at all times. Why? Because the world needs to see him. And Paul will go on and say, so this is what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. Does he mean the people that are going door to door going, hey, you need, you need to know Jesus? No, that is not what we're talking about. I actually would love to fully reject that idea. I think we go every day with a smile on. We show up. We're present, and when the needs present in front of us, we respond. How many are like me? When somebody knocks on the door to sell you something, it doesn't matter what, you, what they're selling, you're shutting the door. You know, you see, you just started a conversation that you didn't ask if you could have. You're bogarting my time. Goodbye. I kind of feel the same way about really long emails, if I'm totally honest. I'm like, that is, that is a, a one-sided invitation to a long conversation. I'm not into it. Just a thought. But Paul says here, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he's quoting Isaiah 52. And I want to look at Isaiah 52 because I think if we just grab onto this, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news, we start leaning into what I would call a very American perspective. Of, oh, yeah, those people that, that do the work of banging on doors and saying, do you know Jesus? That their, their feet are beautiful. Who cares if their feet are beautiful? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about their feet. He's talking about something that is being revealed here in Isaiah 52, and it says it this way in chapter 52, verses 6 and 7. It's, it's Isaiah prophesying for the Lord, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news, who publish peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publish salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And all of a sudden, that verse says something very different. It says that God is actually the one speaking. He's in these situations. 
He's declaring people will know his name and that they'll know that it's him who's speaking. And he's speaking through his people in this situation. And look at how he's speaking. They're bringing a good report, good news. Could it be said of us that we are the people in every situation that could be counted on for a good report? No, my gift is criticism. That is not a gift. That is an unbridled sin condition. Could it be said of us, like it said here, that we publish or we create peace? Wherever we go, we're creating peace. We're professing peace. That we're like these beacons of peace that everybody's like, you know what I need? I need peace. I got to find me one of them believers. I need some peace. My life's in chaos. If I just hang out with them, maybe I'll have some peace. The third thing that, that Isaiah says that they'll do is they're going to bring happiness and joy into situations. Could it be said of us as the people of God? What we're known for the most is we bring happiness and joy to situations. The fourth thing, he said they, they remind the world that God saves by how they live. See, it's one thing to say, Jesus saves. It's another thing to say nothing and let your life declare it. I, th- I believe it's Brother Lawrence who says this, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Regardless of who said it, it's a really good saying. Preach the gospel at all times. Share the good news at all times. Publish peace at all times. Bring joy into every situation. And when you have to, use words. Have you ever thought about this question of how do I present myself to the world that needs him? Because so often in the church we present ourselves as we have the answers. When you decide your life's messed up enough, come talk to us. What happens if your life is so stinking awesome that they, they get jealous and ask you the question, what do I have to do to get that? Isn't that what we see in the book of Acts? They're coming to the apostles saying, what do I have to do to be saved? It's not because they just wanted this word be saved. It was because there was something going on inside of these apostles, inside of these believers, that was so contagious that everybody around said, I need that. My question, church, are we living? All of This is possible for all of us. I believe it's his heart. But I don't believe it just happens when we get out of bed. I think what Paul's sharing here is that he's working to reveal that sharing him, sharing Jesus with the world around us is actually about being connected to his voice. Because he says, therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. And then he transitions to talk about the people of God. What happens if learning to share the kingdom is about learning to hear the voice of God and release to the people around us what God is saying? That we let go of all of our pre-built scripts, we let go of what we think we know, and we just have this incredible tenderness to the voice of heaven. And when we're in a situation and the Lord says, hey, I want you to say this to so-and-so, and you get that weird lump in your throat where you're like, who are you talking to, me? 
How many have ever been in a grocery store line and had the Lord whisper something to say to a person you don't know? How many have been on an airplane? It's way worse than an airplane. You get to walk through and leave a grocery line. When you're on an airplane, you launch it, and then you're stuck sitting there. But learning how to have the tenderness to heaven, because he has things he wants to say. I think that's a more pure evangelism. I think it's a more authentic way to share the kingdom, just to simply communicate the heart and the words of the king to those he's longing for. Please, 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 let me remind you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And he would that none should perish. His heart beats for the cities we live in. And I know in this room, Fort Collins is represented, Windsor's represented, Loveland's represented, and it, you, Timnath, Eaton, all of it, all around this region. We're coming from all kinds of different places. Could that be the intention of the Lord? Some of you are crazy enough to drive from Severance. God love you. <laughs> Could it be the intention of the Lord to grab a group of people, pull them together, begin to pour his voice into them so they would spread back out into those communities and he could begin to reign in those communities? The Paulies this simple statement about the beauty of those who bring the good news, and I, I want to remind us of something. We all had someone share about who Jesus was to help us find him. We all had somebody plant a seed of the knowledge or somebody that was so in love with him that it was contagious for us. I remember when I was 15 years old. I grew up in church. Um, church was like the family business. I never got a, I had no choice. My grandfather's were both church planters, uh, all my uncles were pastors, and other nefarious things, but um, I grew up in church. It was all I knew. I was 15 years old. I was running score clock for church league basketball. You want to see how unchurched the church is? Go to a church league basketball game. And I'm watching all these guys get fouled and yell at each other and say other words that aren't in the Bible and all kinds of things. And there's this one guy. Just the goofiest, most outlandish man I'd ever met in my life. He was about 24 at this time. He's out there so stinking in love with Jesus, it was hilarious to watch. You talk about a fish out of water. He's at a church league basketball game, and he loves Jesus. And he's on the court, and he's playing. He's good, but he's playing. He gets fouled. He's like, oh, praise God, man. Love and he's just genuine. And he's the... I mean, it was like so syrupy real that it just made me want to both vomit and get it. <laughs> he walks by, he's never met me before. Hey man, how you doing? Praise God. Love, thank you for serving. I'm like, I'm getting paid. I'm not here because I'm serving. <laughs> Slowly but surely, it starts to, something starts to eat away at me. Because I grew up in this thing and I didn't have that. My family went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Those were, the, those were the normal requirements. And then we were there Tuesday and Thursday as well. I grew up every night of the week almost in church. I grew up being told what you couldn't wear to church, you cannot wear a sweatshirt and tennis shoes. That is sin. My wife mocked me this morning. She says, you're going back to your Pentecostal roots. You're wearing suits now. I'm like, no, we're just not doing portable church in any way, shape, or form anymore. So I can actually like, wear something nice. So this guy, his name's John. 
I meet him. He's so in love with Jesus that it's obnoxious. And all the guys he was around were in love with Jesus. And they were from this tiny church that nobody had heard of. The church was called Abundant Life Christian Center. They had six guys on their basketball team. So I knew it wasn't a very big church. And they all were genuinely like nice guys that loved Jesus. I never watched them lose their tempers. I watched them get fouled. They played against my uncles. They should have lost their tempers. My uncles were dirty ball players. My uncle Bob, the, the senior pastor of the church, when you'd go for a shot, he'd reach around the back of your leg and pull the hair out of the back of your leg so you would, like, it would short your jump. And he just thought that was good tactic. I'm like, that's dirty pool. These guys played against them. They lost. They smiled. They shook their hands. They were just genuine as all get out. Long story short, it starts me on a journey where I'm like, I need that. That journey leads me to talk to this John guy. I'm like, hey, did I know what this is, but I don't know what that is. He's like, he, he called me Cootie. That was his name. Like, it's a good pet name. Weird as all get out, but okay. Like Cootie Bug. I'm like, that's just an odd. He called everybody that. I'm like, okay, he's a little quirky. Love Jesus though. <laughs> he's like, oh, Cootie, you just need to meet the Holy Spirit. You just never met him. I'm like, excuse me? He's like, oh, you might know who he is, but you've never met him. And he starts weeping. He said, like, because when you meet him, man, it changes everything. And I got so hungry that I met him on a Sunday morning. And I walked into this tiny little church that was a church plant that was in a women's club. There's no instruments. Pastor Gary was standing up first time I'd ever met him. He's standing up front. He's leading songs, acapella. And he had this thing he would do. He'd hold his hands like this. He'd just walk back and forth the whole time. He just paced. He, he led worship just like he prays. And the presence of God was, there was like 42 people in the room. The presence of God was so thick that it marked my life. Church, here's my point. Had John not been willing to put his life on display and clothe himself in the king, Greg Sanders would have never made it to that church. My story would have never began to where I really fell in love with Jesus. I would have gone on through my paces just believe in church was just a system of belief. Didn't really do anything. The only thing that changed was one man having the courage to put his life on display. Do we have the courage to put our lives on display? Do we have the courage to sit with the king and clothe ourselves in his love, clothe ourselves in his mercy, clothe ourselves in his kindness and his nature for the purpose of revealing him? Because when I look at this passage, Paul's statement here, is really about considering eternity. There's going to be people you and I stand with on the other side when it's all done and we stand with the king. There's going to be people we see and they come up to us and say, hey, you know what? Thank you. Thanks for displaying him. You're the reason I'm in the kingdom. You're the reason I found him. And in that moment, I promise that will matter more than your 401k does. Because that'll be the thing where you're like, it was worth it, Lord because I do love you enough that I'm so glad that others could see it. We have an opportunity in our day and in our time to be a people 
that if we want to carry the fullness of his nature, we carry the fullness of heaven. All right, I got through half my teaching. Let's stand. How about we take this as just a a halftime speech in a football game? We take it and go, all right, it's time to go out. I have a friend who, uh, he has this little quote. He always says, Kylo, first time he said it to me, I'm like, huh? He said, keep your love on. What happens if we just decide? I'm going to go sit with the king. I'm going to ask him to clothe me in all of his glory, in all of his goodness, and I'm going to walk into my job tomorrow. I'm going to walk into my neighborhood tomorrow. I'm going to walk into my school tomorrow, and I'm going to have an agenda. My agenda is to reveal the king with how I live, with how I talk, with how I smile. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. What a privilege today to be together. We take to heart Paul's statement. How in the world are they going to believe if we don't go tell them? The bigger issue is we want to be people that carry your image. I don't, want to be, I don't want us to be people that carry it and sit it down. We want to put it on and keep it on. And we love you and we honor you. Holy Spirit, you have to lead this process. And we desperately need you. We need your voice and we welcome it. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Here's just the beginning. Thank you for your time with us. We would love to have you join us at a live gathering on Sunday. Our address is 1501 Academy Court, and it's just off of Prospect Road in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, please go to vintagecitychurch.com, and we'll see you next time.